The reading, this morning, uh, the reading set for this morning is uh, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, which you'll find on page 1203 of the Maroon Back Bibles in the front. We would encourage you to take those and turn to it to follow as I'm reading, then keep them open as Nick um, speaks to us about the passage. So the set passage is from uh, Hebrews 4. I am going to start a little bit earlier in verse 16 of chapter 3, uh, just to provide some context, uh, starting on the same page there, just above the big four. So reading from uh, Hebrews chapter 3, from verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see, they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said, so I declare on my oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work, having been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore still it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I'd like if you were to imagine the scene. A fairly smart restaurant in Bakersfield, California on Monday, the 23rd of September, 2013. The restaurant's quite full because there's a medical convention in town. Uh, and uh, a woman named Pauline Larwood, age 71, is sat eating a meal with friends. From across the restaurant, a man named Royce Johnson sees her engaged in an apparent tussle with a larger man. 
and he immediately crosses the restaurant. He, he takes a three-and-a-half-inch pocket knife and thrusts it into Pauline Larwood's throat. An extraordinary and a shocking scene. But one where there is more than meets the eye. Pauline Larwood had suffered with polio at the age of eight and always had difficulty with swallowing. And as she sat there enjoying her filet mignon, a piece of it became lodged in her windpipe and she was unable to breathe. The large man who appeared to be wrestling with her was a friend attempting to give her the Heimlich manoeuvre, but without success. Uh, And try as he might, he could not dislodge that piece of meat from her throat. She began to, her lips began to turn blue. Uh, And the reason Royce Johnson, who was a visiting physician, part of this medical conference, crossed the floor of the restaurant was because her party cried out, is there a doctor here? Well, yes, as it happened, there were about a hundred doctors there. And Royce Johnson said to his friend, I need your knife. And in that moment, sliced open Pauline Larwood's windpipe below the obstruction, took a broken pen and inserted it into the hole, and everyone started breathing again when she did. He took a knife to her throat, which under any other circumstances would have been unimaginably awful as a thing to do but in so doing he saved her life so much depends on how you see that moment doesn't it the perspective from which you view it if you know the emergency if you know the horror of what is going on then you realise that far from being a a, a villain or a violent man, Royce Johnson was a saviour to Pauline Larwood that night. Sometimes the cut of a knife is the only thing that can save you. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because There are some very familiar words, at least to many of us, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that verse can become so familiar that we lose the shock of it. What the writer to the Hebrews says is the word of God is like a sword. It's sharp. It cuts you. Right down to the very deepest level of your being, the word of God can can separate everything out, can show what's really there. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that's not always a very comfortable experience, is it? And I don't know how you're feeling about our sort of forays into the book of Hebrews so far, but it's quite possible that you're thinking, oh, no, not Hebrews again. Because there's much of it 
that is deeply uncomfortable to us. It is challenging. It is difficult. Remember, the writer is writing to a group of people who, though they've sort of joined the church, become part of the body of Christ, they're in danger of wandering away from him. They've grown weary. Being a Christian is difficult. They've been a Christian for some time. They're enduring persecution. They're growing weary. And the writer to the Hebrews is calling them back to Jesus and saying, press into him, press in on him. Don't let go. Don't miss out. Uh, And uh, we saw last week, if you were here, from uh, in chapter three, from verse seven onwards, this section of the letter is like a, a kind of sermon on Psalm 95. A psalm that begins with an invitation to praise God and recognize his glory and his goodness, his saving power, his ownership of the whole creation because he made everything of entering into the joy of knowing God. Uh, But then the second half of Psalm 95 is a stern warning, and it's quoted uh, from verse 7 of chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did, that's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they've not known my ways So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The writer to the Hebrews takes that warning from Psalm 95 and applies it like a surgeon's scalpel to the people to whom he is writing. And this language of entering rest shows both the urgency and the just how high the stakes are when it comes to receiving the word of God. So let's go to chapter 4, verse 1. We read, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Now, actually, I slightly hate doing this, but... um, there are times when translations don't quite capture the urgency of what is being said. And this is one of those moments, because in, in the Greek that the writer wrote in, the first word of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 is fear. That's what's been translated halfway through our sentence as let us be careful. It is literally let us fear. Let us be afraid. Let us tremble. Why? Well, that not even one of you, he says, should be found to have fallen short of the rest that God offers. We'll talk about the rest in a moment. But there's this serious danger of some, maybe even just one in the congregation, falling short, not entering that rest. And the writer says, we should be terrified that that should happen. It is so serious. Why is that a danger? Well, verse 2. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message 
they heard was of no value to them because they did not share in the faith of those who obeyed. So in uh, that last sentence that Philip read to us from uh, chapter 3, we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief or because of their lack of faith. It is perfectly possible to be part of the church. It is perfectly possible to hear the good news of Jesus, to keep hearing it. The people of Israel heard it for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. But to miss out. Because that hearing is not combined with faith. And without faith, a lifetime of church attendance, a lifetime of taking Holy Communion, a lifetime of hearing God's word is of no value to you. You will not enter God's rest. Why is that rest such an important thing? Why is it that the writer is so fearful that anyone should miss out on it, should fall short? Well, he's taking the example of God's people wandering in the wilderness after they've left Egypt. We read the beginnings of that story in the book of Exodus. The people groaning in slavery, and God says, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take you to a home where you will be my people and I will be your God and you will enjoy my goodness and my abundance overflowing. He describes it as a land flowing with milk and honey. And yet the majority of the people that left Egypt did not make it to that home. Why not? Because they in the end, they didn't believe. The, the writer of Psalm 95 is pointing to these instances where the people quarreled with God and said, we, we don't want you because you've led us out of Egypt into the wilderness. And, and actually, life was all right in Egypt. We wish we had died there. They didn't trust God that he would keep his promise. And that's the situation that the readers, the first readers of Hebrews are facing they're in danger of not trusting that God will keep his promise. His promise of entering rest. Now, while Philip was reading to us from chapter 4, you might have got a little bit lost. The writer to the Hebrews goes into, in verse 4, suddenly starts quoting Genesis 2, verse 2. For somewhere he's spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. I won't try and go through the argument in, uh, in great detail, but the point, I think, is simple. The reason the writer goes to Genesis 2, verse 2, is because the educated reader of the Old Testament would know that the promise of rest, in one sense, the promise of rest that Psalm 95 is referring to is the, the promise of entering the land. God repeatedly calls the, the, the land of Israel that he's taking his people to, they're entering into that land and into that relationship with him as being entering his rest. And that's where phrases that we have in English like no rest for the wicked come from. Uh, it's not about, you know, the fact that the housework never ends. That's how often how we use it, isn't it? You know, someone sort of catches us sweeping the, the kitchen floor and we say, no rest for the wicked. But that's not where it comes from. 
It comes from the, from the idea that the, the people in the wilderness who rejected God and refused to believe his promises didn't enter the rest. That is, they didn't go into the promised land. And so the per- person reading Psalm 95, and as the writer of the Hebrews says, well, I said they would never enter my rest, would say, well, the people are in the land now, aren't they? And the writer says that promise of rest was like a picture pointing to this greater promise of entering God's rest, which begins in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Now, there's something very interesting about the seventh day, the day we read about at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 1 tells us about the six days in which God made everything, and there is morning and there is evening on each of those days. And on the sixth day, God creates man and woman in his image to fulfill his creative purposes. And then on the seventh day, we read God rested from all his works. That's what the writer to the Hebrews quotes here. But there's something very striking about that seventh day. It is different from all the other days in all sorts of ways, but not least this. We do not read, and there was morning, and there was evening on the seventh day. The other days all have a beginning and an end. But the seventh day stretches on. The seventh day is the goal of those first six days. And it's not a moment. It's a destination. It is the fulfillment of all God's works. It is the rest that comes when God's work is fully done. It is the goal of existence. It is what everything is for. It's what you were made for. To enjoy God and the completion of his work in rest for eternity. The great Augustine uh, wrote in his confessions, describing his own journey to faith. He said, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And perhaps you know that restlessness in yourself. You know that sense of not ever being quite satisfied, of not ever having what you really need, of not ever being quite what you really need to be, of not being where you need to be. Am I the only person here who has gone through their life thinking, well, when I get to that point, when I've achieved this, or you know, when my kids are grown up, or, or when I get that job, whatever it might be, you know, then I can rest. I know many of us have gone on that journey to retirement and thought, when I get to retirement, I'll rest. That's a joke, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> But you see, you were made for that relationship with God, that enjoyment of God and his goodness and the completeness of his work, that sense of arriving and of being home. You were made for that and your heart is longing for that. It's the whole point of existence in the end. And the writer to the Hebrews says, I am terrified that even one of you should miss out on that. that any of you should be like the Israelites who just died in the wilderness. Their bodies fell. They never got home. What a terrible thing. 
The stakes are so high. You can hear the message, but if you don't receive it with faith, you don't receive the rest. And so, you experience a fate worse than death. Being shut out of what God made you to be, what God made you to enjoy. Being shut out from his presence which is the only thing that can truly satisfy your heart because that's what you were made for. So the writer says, when you receive God's word, and this is the quote from Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so then he comes here at the end of this section in verses 12 and 13 to say, look, the word of God is sharp. It can cut through everything. It will expose the attitudes and thoughts of your heart. Now that can happen to you in two ways. I think that's what the writer is saying. It can happen to you in two ways. If you harden your heart now, if you refuse to receive the word, if you don't receive it with faith, then everything will be laid bare Verse 13, on the day of judgment, nothing in in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word will will slice you open and, and show the reality of your heart to God on judgment day. In one sense, then, the word of God could do butchery to us. But what the writer to the Hebrews wants for all those who who first read the letter and what God wants for us is that God's word will not butcher us but do surgery. That we will welcome even that painful engagement with the word of God that feels like being cut by it. Any of us who's a Christian probably does know that experience of hearing God's word and being, as the, right, as the first hearers of the gospel on the day of Pentecost were, cut to the heart. Where God's word shows that actually there's that reality of sin. I do not love God as I should. I don't obey his word as I should. And the word of God exposes that. And there are two ways to respond, aren't there? One is to sort of try and close that down and try and make ourselves safe and say, get that sharp thing away from me. Well, imagine if Pauline Larwood had done that on the 23rd of September, 2013. If she'd seen Royce Johnson coming to her with the penknife and said, look, you can do whatever you... Well, she couldn't speak, but, you know, if she'd forced him away and said, no, you can't cut me, she would have died there in that restaurant. But if instead we welcome the surgery that God's word can do in us, if we receive it with faith, if we say, God, I believe that you will keep your promises. I know that you love me and that your purpose is to bring me into your rest. Well, then let your word do its work in my heart. Let it slice me open and reveal the secrets of my heart so that I can repent and turn to you in faith so that I will hold on to Jesus and enter that rest. The first verse of our reading for next week 
is a sort of bridge between this section and the next. Hear what it says. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Look, my heart holds all kinds of secrets that I don't want God or anyone else to know. But the writer says it is safe to let the word of God do its work in your life because we have Jesus, the great high priest who has made the one sacrifice that was needed for sin, who has shed his blood for your life. That's the meal that we're about to share together. It speaks of that reality, of that love of God that has taken flesh and willingly died so that we could live. And the writer says, given that that's how much God loves you, trust him. And when his word hits you uncomfortably, when it unveils things that you would rather not have unveiled, when it shows you a reality that you wish wasn't true, trust him. Put your faith in him. God's great desire is that you will enter his rest. So don't receive the word the way the people did in the wilderness, with unbelief, with a hard heart. So I think that means something about how we prepare ourselves to come to church, how we prepare ourselves when we read our Bibles, when we meet with our small groups, doesn't it? Isn't it right to to want that at times it will hurt. That at times God will put his finger on something in your life that isn't right. We shouldn't simply come to the word of God expecting it to affirm us. We shouldn't come to it expecting it simply to comfort or inspire us. Sometimes it will challenge us, sometimes right down to the very deepest level. And the question is, are you ready for God's word to be at work in your heart like that? Do you come to church on a Sunday morning expectant that God is going to speak to you and that that word will bring change? Do you expect God to speak It's my prayer that as a family of God, we will gather as people expectant that God will meet with us and speak to us. And that together, not one of us will be found to fall short of the rest that God has promised, but that he will bring us all safely home. Perhaps you want to make it your prayer that as you come to the Lord's table this morning, if you're someone who receives the Lord's Supper, that actually God would use this meal to speak to you, to reassure you of the certainty of his promises, that he is good, that he does love you, that you can trust him, even when his word feels like a sword. If there's something particular that God is speaking to you about right now, then there are people available at the front of church after the service who will pray with you. Don't leave here without doing business with God. 
Either come to the front and pray or come and grab me or uh, pray with someone you came with. But don't just walk away. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Instead, verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience.